It's Monday, January 20th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. On Tuesday, the Senate impeachment trial of Donald Trump really gets underway. And even though we almost certainly know the outcome, the president will be acquitted, it is a historic moment nonetheless. The strategy will be to admit nothing, apologize for nothing, and challenge the whole thing on constitutional grounds. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, tells us the main arguments, who is on Trump's legal team, and how senators will have to deal with no cell phones and no talking. Next, the famous flagship store for Tiffany & Company in New York had to move to a new location so the building could be renovated. While the move to a temporary location was short, it took dozens of security guards, hundreds of cameras, and a vow of secrecy from workers to move 114,000 gems without getting robbed. James Barron, reporter for the New York Times, joins us for how Tiffany pulled off this big move and get it all done before time of opening Monday morning. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Justice Benjamin Curtis, who, remember, was the Supreme Court justice who dissented in uh, Dred Scott, and he made the successful argument in front of the Senate that in order for a president to be impeached, he argued successfully to the Senate that criminal like conduct is required. That argument prevailed. I will be making that argument as a lawyer on behalf of the president's defense team against impeachment. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Thanks for having me. This week is going to be pretty big. No matter what you think about the whole impeachment thing that's going on, it is a historic moment that is going to be happening in this country. President Donald Trump, the trial is going to be really starting on Tuesday. And uh, we've already kind of gotten a a little glimpse of what to expect. The House put out a 110-page report, the trial memorandum, basically arguing that there's evidence overwhelmingly establishing that the president is guilty on the articles of impeachment, that he's the framers' worst nightmare. And then the president's legal team put out a much shorter response to that, saying that he just denies everything and uh, really challenging it on constitutional grounds as well. Ginger, kind of tell us uh, what we're expecting from both sides. This is the big event. This is this moment that this is all led up to. You know, the House had a process. We saw hearings. We saw testimony. We saw lots of members making the case. But the Senate trial is sort of the heart of the impeachment process. We're going to see an argument from the House manager. So the way this works is instead of bringing in prosecuting attorneys or, you know, when we think of a criminal system, you'd have the prosecutors. Nancy Pelosi has selected a group of House managers that will go over to the Senate. They will present their case to the senators. As you said, they put out this 110-page memo that really outlined no surprises what we've known as this process has gone along and what we've seen. And just a restatement of their argument, which is that when President Trump called the Ukrainian president and asked him to investigate Joe Biden, that he was abusing his office, that he was trying to leverage the White House, the the position of the presidency for his own personal gain, and that is getting reelected in November of this year. And we heard again from the president's attorneys just a full-throated denial. They have opted throughout this process not to get in to sort of the nitty-gritty, the line-by-line to talk about what happened blow by blow and answer the accusations, but instead to make sweeping denials, which we heard again. And then, as you pointed out, a constitutional argument, which I think is going to be the core of their defense, that this is not what the framers intended. This is not what impeachment was designed for. 
And that really, in the grand scheme of things, the president didn't do anything that would justify an impeachment proceeding. Jonathan Swan from Axios, I think, had a a really good line encapsulating the Trump defense, concede nothing, admit nothing, apologize for nothing, talk for TV and don't get into the weeds. I mean, they want to make it as simple as possible and just be as strong as possible with their defense that there was nothing wrong, despite, you know, new new information that we're getting out of Lev Parnas. We still don't know if there will be any types of witnesses called. I know a lot of people are hoping for that. And I think the key here is is that we pretty much all know what the outcome is going to be. We know that ultimately the Senate will vote to acquit the president. They won't remove him from office. And then at the end of the day, the impeachment will return us to the sort of the status quo. President Trump will still be President Trump. This isn't about persuading senators who we can kind of guess where they all have landed already. This is about persuading the public and making it so that there's In at least Trump's efforts, no political damage done to him through this process. They want to be talking to the TV, to the viewers at home so that they don't lose anyone. And if they're lucky, they'll pick some people up who see the president, they argue, as the victim of an unfair attack. And that might even persuade some people to to vote for him that might not have otherwise. Let's talk about the president's legal team. We know that it's going to be White House counsel Pat Cipollone. And Jay Sekulow, the personal attorney to President Trump, they're really going to be the leaders of the legal team. But he also added Ken Starr, who, uh, you know, was the former independent counsel. He led the investigation into the Clintons, which led to the impeachment of President Bill Clinton. And then Alan Dershowitz, who is a curious figure in this. They announced him to be kind of part on the team to advise on, on the constitutional angle of this, which, as you mentioned, is going to be a huge part of it. And then he kind of went to backtrack and say, well, you know, I'm not like 100 percent part of the team. I'm really just going to be spending an hour at most there. Yeah. Dershowitz came out and said, I know they said I'm on the team, but really, I'm just going to tell you what I would have said had this been Hillary Clinton being impeached. And I think that from an academic position, I'm going to give the argument as to why uh, abusive power isn't an impeachable offense. Dershowitz is expected to make the case that even if they found Trump abused the power of his office, that that is not grounds to have him removed from office, that the framers didn't, when they wrote the Constitution, didn't intend abusive power to be an impeachable offense. But you're right, you mentioned Ken Starr, who's also a bit of an interesting figure. He has at times been critical of the president, so uh, he is not a sort of full-throated backer of the president. It has been suggested that the reason Ken Starr was added was because of his experience with being on television. He's a contributor at Fox News. He's used to the cameras. And the thought was, was that he would be able to handle that piece of it. I have no doubt that the president really cares about how this looks on TV and that he'll be watching it on television. Wouldn't be surprised if he's live tweeting through the process himself making the arguments as to why he thinks that uh, Democrats are wrong. Yeah, I mean, if he's not live tweeting, we'll definitely be getting updates, you know, maybe at the end of the night or before the day starts, you know, the next day or something. We will be hearing from the president on this. The other thing I want to talk about briefly, too, is the senators themselves. They've been sworn in already. They might have a tough time with all this because uh, there's no cell phones allowed while this is all happening. There's no talking. I think the AP said there's no escape. And it'll be especially tough for the few handful of senators that are running for president that are uh, the Democratic trying to be the Democratic nominee. That's right. If you've ever flipped your television over to C-SPAN 2, maybe you were real bored and watched the Senate floor, uh, you would know that for the most part, the Senate chamber is empty and that when there are more than one senator in the Senate chamber, they tend to be talking to each other or their staff. They're coming in and out of the building, the room. Uh, They're not sitting there uh, just listening to what's going on on the floor. 
they're not going to be able to do that during this impeachment proceeding. They're going to have to sit there and listen, which will be a very rare thing for senators to do. And uh, a number of them have joked that they may need tranquilizers, that they may need (laughs) some medication to be separated from their digital devices. But I do think that this is a serious matter, and that's why these rules are in place. And you also pointed out there are senators running for president. There are four of them. There's the potential that this could go on so long that it overlaps with the Iowa caucuses. Uh, Bernie Sanders said this past week that he would rather be in Iowa than in, in the Senate chamber. We could see some of them going back and forth at night flying private jets to and from New Hampshire or Iowa or South Carolina to hold rallies after they're done with their impeachment duties. So could be a bit of a tiring week for Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Bennett and Amy Klobuchar. Yeah, it's going to definitely be tough for them. And, and I'm sure we'll be hearing from them. Yeah, they're going to be in overtime because they have to keep their face in the public eye. Just, you know, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people kind of know where they're going with their votes, possibly. But they still need to make those public appearances and and keep up there. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting week. Uh, They're expecting this to last about two weeks. Possibly we'll see, but this is all going to really get kicked off on Tuesday. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Back door of these of the famous Tiffany store, the one you know if you know uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's. The back door there is where all of this was coming out from. It only had to go, as you said, about 50 feet into the door of the new store. It, It didn't have to go very far, but it had to get there on a public sidewalk, and that was the challenge. Joining us now is James Barron, reporter for The New York Times. Thanks for joining us, James. Good to be with you. Tiffany and Company is renovating their flagship store on Fifth Avenue. And in order to keep operating in the meantime, they are moving to a temporary space. But what they had to do was move uh, hundreds of thousands of gems and and individual units uh, over. And obviously, we're talking about millions and millions of dollars here, high priced uh, jewelry and whatnot. Uh, And so the security measures that were taken to have this go off without a hitch or, or, you know, nothing getting stolen were just so high. Uh, James, tell us a little bit about what Tiffany and company had to do to secure all of their jewelry. They had 30 of their own security people who were standing watch. Uh, the NYPD put a, uh, a number of officers, uh, uniformed and I'm pretty sure plain clothes. Uh, on the sidewalk, these two the stores, the the in effect back door of these of the famous Tiffany store, the one you know if you know uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's, the back door there is where all of this was coming out from. It only had to go, as you said, about 50 feet into the door of the new store. The new store used to be a Nike store. Nike moved out. Tiffany is subleasing it. It it didn't have to go very far. But it had to get there on a public sidewalk, and that was the challenge. So as I say, there were uniformed NYPD officers there, and I think there were probably some plainclothes officers. There was this guy in jeans kind of down the sidewalk just standing looking at the Tiffany windows, and he had a, an earphone in his ear like a Walkman earphone. I, I don't think he was just a pedestrian passing <laughs> right. by. But that was the thing. When when 
nothing was being moved, that sidewalk was open. Now, to be sure, there is a scaffolding, uh, uh, the kind of box you see when a building's going, uh, undergoing renovation. The Tiffany building is about to start. They put the scaffolding up, so that blocked the view from across the street. And then they also put a little tent, the kind of white tent that they can drive a VIP limousine into if there's a VIP so that you can't see the, the VIP getting out of the limo. They put one of those at the end of the scaffolding so that if you were across the street and you were hoping to plan a heist here, you couldn't see what when the jewelry started coming out of the one door and going in the other. In other words, if you had somebody who thought they could run down the sidewalk and grab something, well, for starters, you wouldn't know when to have them start the 50-yard dash, let's say. Another thing was, if you tried to do some sort of uh, grab uh, thing where you were trying to grab some, they were in locked carts. Everything was carefully inventoried before it went out the one door and and placed in boxes in carts that were locked and then the carts were sealed with shrink wrap so that if you could tell immediately when it got to the new store if it had been tampered with the shrink wrap wouldn't was like a a seal like on a on a colonial era colonial era letter you know how they used to seal them with wax so you could tell immediately if the seal had been broken right. well this time it was shrink wrap on these on these carts and they did this all in about 18 hours when the store closed on a sunday and then reopened the next day on monday at their normal opening time so they had to do move fairly quickly to get so much moved and obviously with all the security they even had their employees keep it secret. They couldn't say anything about it. They also had officials monitor social media for any hints of potential theft and whatnot. They were monitoring certain keywords such as move and 727 Fifth Avenue. So, I mean, they were really, really going above and beyond to make sure they were taking care of this stuff. Tell us about some of the items that were moved and the prices of some of these items. Well, there was uh, an engagement ring that came from off the second floor, and it was a fairly large um, ring as these things go. Um, uh, it uh, we can just skip the the carrot weight and go straight to the to the bottom line. The price on that one was two point four seven million dollars. Wow! If you know your carrots, uh, that was ten point six four carrots. It had a, a large ring and then a large diamond and then some some smaller ones um, around it. Um, I figured out later that that uh, that many carrots is about as much as a bullet. Um, you know, this was a a large ring, um, so there was that. But I mean, there was a, a diamond necklace that they packed uh, several of them, I think, but certainly one that I watched. Uh, that, that they sell for $165,000. Wow. Um, they have rings that, for them, are, are modestly priced. Uh, they spell the word love in little diamonds. Those go for $4,000. Um, it, it was all of these things that had to be packed and inventoried and then moved. 
And so it was a real operation, but they had 400 employees, some of whom had volunteered to come in that day. They weren't all the salespeople who had been working. And uh, and so some of it in at first, after the store closed, was um, just the inventorying. Uh, they had barcode scanners attached to laptop computers, and so they scanned everything in uh, and then put them in the boxes and onto the carts as, that I mentioned before. Uh, but but that looked to me like the, that was the most. Um, time-consuming and probably um, nerve-wracking part for the people doing it because they had to be sure everything got in. They couldn't leave anything behind. They said, once you leave the building, you can't go back and no one's going to go back and look. So they had to make sure everything went out. And then once they got to the new store, they had to reconcile it. In other words, they had printouts of the listings they that that had been created when they when they scanned everything in the old store and now they had to make sure it got to the new store and it all went off without a hitch from my understanding which i mean you know like i said these are just the extreme measures that you need to take to protect so many valuable items and according to tiffany they said everything was all good and squared away and everything made it there just fine that's what they told me on Monday. And in fact, the move actually went faster than the 18 hours between closing time on Sunday and opening time on Monday. Uh, it got there, uh, everything got there, I would think, in about half that time. But then there was the setting up. Right. I mean, again, it's, it's Tiffany's. They place everything very carefully. They have a, a visual team. Uh, and Reed Krakow, who's their chief artistic officer, has worked very hard on the look of, of Tiffany's. He, he was the man that some people in fashion call the next Tom Ford back when he was the creative director at Coach. So now he's at Tiffany's, and, and he has, has given it a look and has a team that goes to each of the counters and, and sees that everything is correctly placed. Uh, we watched them place that $2.4 million ring uh, in, in the counter uh, and, and, you know, make sure that they had the right little um, frame for it to sit on and that the box was, was just right and that, there, and that it was clean, that there, were no, uh, there was no prints on it. And at one yeah. point, uh, uh, there was a hair that had gotten on it. That ring is big enough that, I, that it'll snag a hair if you're not careful. <laughs> uh, and, um, and they took care of all that. Um, but then they had to do it for everything in the store. They yeah. had to work their way through the store, and that's the part that kept the lights on and kept them there all night. Well, it is Tiffany, so it all does have to be perfect, but it's just an interesting look at all the security measures that had to go into making this move happen. James Barron, reporter for the New York Times, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this 
was your daily dive 